Listener Production. Now, if you're a very regular listener to The Briefing, you will know that I am relatively honest about the fact that I am a, a mammal, a middle-aged man in Lycra. Look, it's not part of my life that I'm the most proud of, but I do love cycling. It's a strange thing that I got into over the last five years. It makes me one of the most hated road users, sadly. <laughs> and over the last few weeks, I've actually been looking at this in detail. I've been traveling the country learning about Lycra Rage for a seven spotlight television documentary which went to air last night. Cyclists everywhere are saying, why is it so dangerous for us? It must be the drivers. The drivers must hate us. So one of the many things I learned is that one cyclist still dies almost every week on Australian roads and sadly that number's not going down. It's been flat for about a decade despite increased awareness about road safety for cyclists and increasing bike lanes. So there's clearly still a lot of work to do on making our roads safer for cyclists. One of the deeper things I discovered on this journey was that there's new research that actually explains the logic behind the dislike of cyclists. One Australian study found that more than half of drivers, that's drivers who don't cycle, see cyclists as less than human. They put cyclists somewhere on the scale between human and ape or insect and the less human people saw a cyclist the more likely that person was to act aggressively towards them so the attitude translates to behaviors including throwing objects at them or cutting them off in traffic and another study we found that's just come out recently from QUT made some startling revelations about lycra the more people perceived cyclists as being less than human the more likely they were to engage in aggressive and even sort of outright hostile acts such as throwing objects or driving their cars at the cyclist. So the author of that study will be my guest in this episode of The Briefing as we try and better understand our attitudes towards cyclists. First, here are today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. It is Monday the 24th of July. We're beginning with some huge sporting news. Let's start in the pool. Yes, go Arnie! Uh, Ariane Titmus won the women's 400 freestyle at the World Swimming Championships in Japan overnight in what was billed the race of the century. She broke the world record by seven-tenths of a second. Of course, that audio we just heard was courtesy of nine. Uh, we won four gold medals in the pool mm. overall, the first time we've won four gold in one day since the World Championships began back in 1973. Both the men's and women's 4 by 100 metre freestyle relay teams picked up more gold medals. The women broke the world record. Unbelievable. Yeah, amazing news from the pool there. Bring on the Paris Olympics. To the cricket, the English are not very happy at all because Australia has retained the Ashes series um, because rain washed out the fifth and final day of the fourth test. So we were getting thrashed in this test until it rained on the last two days, which means that one will be a draw. So we're four matches through a five-match series. The scores are 2-1, and one of our victories was the controversial one where we were accused of cheating over that stumping of Bearstow. So the English were coming back, and, um, yeah, rain got in the way. There will be a fifth match in the series played at the Oval in London, but... 
We're going to win the series anyway. Sorry, England. And in the FIFA Women's World Cup, our Matildas will play Nigeria on Thursday. Lots going on there too. What you're hearing there is the sound of protesters on the streets of the Israeli capital, Jerusalem, overnight. Those protesters arrived in the city after walking for four days from Tel Aviv. They're calling on the president, Benjamin Netanyahu, to abandon reforms to the laws which would overhaul the country's judicial system. More than 200,000 people have taken part in the nationwide rallies and they've been running for 29 weeks. Netanyahu was rushed to hospital over the weekend and as announced he's going to have a pacemaker fitted. Um, He's been suffering heart problems. That controversial bill, Tom, is going to be voted on today. Yes, I would put limits on the court's powers um, to strike down government decisions for being unreasonable. And the protesters are saying this is a threat to democracy. And in another part of the Mediterranean, uh, wildfires in the Greek islands are forcing thousands of tourists to evacuate their hotels on the island of Rhodes. The air was just unbreathable. It had turned bright orange and black uh, above, our, above our heads from the hotel, so we were evacuated immediately. So the Greek government says nearly 19,000 people were rescued and moved to safety over the weekend. Some had to get out so quickly they didn't even have time to grab their bags. This heat wave could become the longest in Greece's history. Um, they're even having to shut down the Acropolis in the afternoon because people are fainting. So... Yeah, pretty wild. If you are heading to Europe, the long-range forecasts are saying it's going to stay hot in Greece and parts of Italy. And I know this has been a big conversation (laughs) with a couple friends of mine. Do we go and see the Barbie movie? Do we go and see the Mm. Oppenheimer film? Well, if you want some proof over which could be the better film, at least in terms of box office takings, Barbie has won the battle for that one in the US over the weekend. I'm not too sure about Australia, but it went head-to-head in the blockbuster stakes with the war movie Oppenheimer. Barbie, which stars Margot Robbie, won easily. It took in $230 million over the weekend. Oppenheimer took in $120 million. That's in Australian dollars. I still want to see Oppenheimer. I think you can see both. I think you can, yeah. I, I, I really want to see both as well. I actually, um, I'm quite intrigued by the Barbie movie the more I hear about it, actually. You told me a bit about it last week and there's some really interesting themes and it sounds like they actually address some of the criticisms people make about Barbie in terms of the gender roles and the, the kind of role model she is for women. It actually deals with that stuff kind of head on and it sounds kind of funny as well. You know, it was so interesting, Tom, I was in the Gold Coast on the weekend and and went out to a few places and everyone was embracing barbecue fashion. People are treating it like it's a real thing. It's having an impact already. I mean, this is the Gold Coast after all. Huh. Yeah. I also want to see Oppenheimer, like just a good old fashioned solid blockbuster as well. I'm seeing really good reviews about that, but it was never going to be a match for the Barbie marketing campaign. It has just been wall to wall. Oh, yeah. All right, Katrina, catch you later. I'm about to bring you a really interesting interview about lycra-clad cyclists. All right, let's get deep into the science behind the disdain for cyclists. Dr. Mark Lim is a researcher from the Queensland University of Technology and his research came out just over a month ago and it looks at the clothes or outfits cyclists wear and how that changes the perceptions and attitudes of drivers when they see them. 
Mark, thank you for joining us. Why did you think it was important to look into this? It kind of came about from an initial study by Alexa Del Bosque about cyclists being perceived as less than fully human. And I was honestly quite shocked when I first saw that paper. And as a cyclist myself, I was intrigued about what might explain that result. And there was a hypothesis there that perhaps it was to do with mandatory helmets requiring people to cover their head and eyes. And I just wanted to test to see if that was in fact contributing towards this situation. Right. Okay. So this is the 2019 study that found that 55% of drivers who don't cycle see cyclists as less than 100% human. So this confirmed this idea of dehumanization that the drivers see cyclists or some drivers see some cyclists as less than human. And you wanted to find out whether what they're wearing has any impact on that. So what did you find? We didn't quite find exactly what we thought. So we hypothesized that the covering of hair and eyes is making people seem less human. We did kind of find that result. So, you know, people wearing helmets were perceived as less human than those without helmets. But we also had some images of a cyclist with no helmet and with a a very bright colored safety vest. And that ranked as even less human. It was perceived as less human than the helmeted image. And then a fully lycra-based, although it wasn't sort of a formal part of our study, we did do a little test to see about lycra-based cyclists. And we found that lycra-based cyclists were perceived as the most inhuman of the images that we we had there. So it wasn't actually to do with the obstruction of the head and eyes, I don't think, because in that vested image, for example, there was no obstruction of the hair and eyes. So it it seems to be more of a connection to the equipment itself. Okay. So essentially you found that the more gear someone was wearing i.e. the less they look like a normal person, the more they look like a full-blown cyclist, the less human the drivers saw them. Yeah, that's right. And all the images we used were were cyclists and that, you know, every every image someone was holding a bike. So everyone was a cyclist, but yeah, depending on what they wore, it did change how they were perceived in mm. terms of their level of humanness. I guess this goes to the deeper question, you know, from the dehumanization research in general. Do you think it's because they're seeing them as as a lesser human than themselves or is it because they see them as a more annoying human and they think that, okay, it's not that they're more like an animal, it's more like they frustrate me more and the more they're wearing, the more space they're likely to tank up because the, the reality is compared to someone just wearing trackies, a a cyclist in Lycra, and I'm, I'm one of them, I confess, we are more likely to ride in groups as sports cyclists. We're also more likely because of that to tank up more space on the road and cause more inconvenience to, to drivers. So is that the reason? And where does that, that fit with the humanization concept? Yeah, it's a good question, Tom. Uh, and it, it's something that's really we don't quite know yet. This this research into dehumanisation, it's it's very much in the early stages in terms of its association with, with cycling. So there isn't a sort of an exact answer to it. There is some studies that show that drivers are largely frustrated by delays and things like that that might be created by by cyclists on the road. And that could be one of the reasons why as a as a group they're not particularly popular mm. in in some countries, and Australia is one of those. And therefore, the more you obviously associate yourself with this unpopular out group by, you know, overt displays of equipment that 
demonstrates your connection to it, yeah. the more you become dehumanized with that outgroup. So that, that's certainly a, a completely viable theory. Yeah. So the truck driver I've spoken to in the story I've been working on, he he was frustrated a lot more by lycra-clad cyclists. So it fit with your findings, but his reason was that they're the cyclists that end up getting in the way more. Yeah, it, it, it could be. I mean, I you know, I, I'm not, I, I am a cyclist. I, I, I cycle all the time myself. Um, I don't wear Lycra though and I don't ride on the, I also don't ride on roads or certainly not busy roads. I'm always mm. off on footpaths or cycle paths as much as possible simply to, um, you know, for self-preservation <laughs> more than anything probably and, and just general comfort. Um, but I, I, th- I think, um, you know, perhaps sports cyclists and people who are extremely confident on bikes are much more likely to actually ride on the road and, and mm. be, um, you know, I think also for their own preservation, they need to ensure that they do do things sometimes like t- make sure they take the lane mm. um, so that they're not sort of cut off in a corner and things like that. So I, I completely understand why why road cyclists might be perceived in that way. Yeah, and those road cyclists you're talking about, and I've, I've spoken to quite a number of them and I know lots of them, they believe lycra rage is, is a thing. We all know what road rage is when someone really loses their cool on the road um, at frustration uh, of another driver. But they feel that drivers, just the sight of Lycra can make them really angry. We spoke to a man in Melbourne who was just run down out of nowhere on a Melbourne road two months ago in a video that went viral. So, I mean, does that fit with your, your research? If, if we've got this study that says that cyclists are seen as less than human and, and your study that shows that the more cycling paraphernalia people wear, the more it adds to that dehumanization. And then there's the link that dehumanization is correlated to dangerous or aggressive behavior towards cyclists. Does that show that lycra rage could be a real thing? Yeah, I think it certainly points in that direction. And it's exactly like you say. And I think that's probably one of the key findings of uh, the initial study by Alexa Del Bosque at Monash there was that the more people perceived cyclists as being less than human, the more likely they were to engage in aggressive and even sort of outright hostile acts, such as throwing objects or driving their cars at the cyclist. So I think those two things potentially could be linked. The other interesting studies that relate to this sort of thing would be those of Ian Walker from the UK. He sort of considered the idea of perceptions of vulnerability. So he was famous for a study where he put little sensors on his bicycle and then wore different gear, like sometimes with a helmet, sometimes he wore a wig and a long dress with no helmet and things like that. And basically he found that cyclists wearing helmets were more likely to be close past than those who weren't. And the biggest amount of room was then given to when he was wearing a wig and a dress with no helmet. And similarly, there's been some follow-on studies with that where cyclists with a kiddie carrier or a kid trailer behind them were more likely to be given further passing distance compared Mm. to cyclists without. So it's quite interesting to see that such things as what someone may wear can impact the response that they receive from other road users. Were you surprised by the findings of your research? And were you disappointed, I guess, in the attitudes of drivers? I was surprised. Um, I, I really did feel that it was going to be associated with the obstruction of hair and eyes. Um, I, th- I thought there was something to that, that just the, the shape of the, the helmet and things like that was what was perhaps contributing to this. Was that about just um, like not being able to see someone's face and have that human-to-human connection? Is that 
what you were yeah, thinking was it, happening there? Yeah, exactly. That's what I hypothesized in the study. I was surprised that that didn't seem to be the key result. Like, you, know, you, you could interpret that was partly it. You can't totally separate that out. But the results seem to say that, no, that's that's not what was driving the link with the perception of dehumanization. So that definitely surprised me. Um, in terms of the dehumanization thing, I guess I was no longer surprised at that since um, Alexa Delbosk's study came out. So I was expecting to see similar results there, which we we also found. To my mind, what's what would be very, very interesting would be to see how this, how such results would compare in other countries. Firstly, to be able to get a proper study done here in Australia, where we have a representative sample, for example, that would be really important. But then also to then run a similar study in other countries with different attitudes towards cyclists and see how that goes. Is is this a nation-based thing? And then what what is it about those nations that drive these attitudes? And where do you think it's going from here? Are we in this transition phase as we increase our cycling infrastructure and um, some parts of Australia become a lot more cycle-friendly? Do you think that will ease tensions or there's still always going to be a a difficult relationship in Australia given the distances we have to travel in our cars? It's a very interesting question. Um, I guess the large part of the spatial growth of our cities has occurred post-automobile in Australian cities. So we do have these long distances that do necessitate car trips, the entire urban fabric has more or less been structured around that mode of transportation. But I don't think that necessarily rules the bike out either. I mean, there's still a very high proportion of trips that are under five kilometres, which is a perfect range for cycling. And I think a dense network of safe paths all across our suburbs could yield real results of people being able to use their bikes to go to school, sometimes to work if they're lucky enough to live close to work, but to shops and other local services, to parks and things like that. I think people could absolutely be using that more if they have the infrastructure that makes it seem safe for the everyday person. That was Mark Lim, researcher from QUT. And as a cyclist, I will say there's a lot of responsibility on us as well. Choosing where we ride, which roads, how busy they are, which is often about when we ride as well, which is super important being on really busy arterial roads during peak hour and taking up a whole lane is obviously going to cause a lot of upset for drivers and a lot of delays and potentially anger. So that's something we have to avoid. On the bigger picture, as a country, our attitudes still have a long way to go. But I personally think that's going to take a long time. The more drivers that ride bikes, the more the attitudes will change. But in some parts of Australia, Cycling is never going to be your main option because the distances are so large. So it's always going to be a challenging cultural divide here in Australia and we need to do our best to understand it and work on it. 